Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We have a fantastic interview for all of you listeners today, as I am joined by a former All-Big Ten standout at the University of Michigan and current number 350 in the ATP singles rankings. Of course, I'm referring to Jason Junk, who joins us today to offer his candid reflections on his lifelong relationship with the sport of tennis. We talk to Jason about how he first got started in the game, why going to college was better for his development than turning professional right away. Of course, we get into his reflections from his time at the University of Michigan, what life on the road as a pro tour athlete is actually like and so much more. Again, a fantastic and fascinating conversation that I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, if you're looking for updates on everything happening right now in the tennis world, head on over to our other podcast, the Mini Break Podcast feed, where we offer daily updates on everything happening right now in Miami. You can head over to the Great Shot Podcast feed to learn about everything happening in the Division I college tennis world, as well as on the ATP Challenger Tour. Again, We've got you covered here at Crack Rackets. As we know, it's our job to ensure you remain the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. The way we're doing that on this podcast here today is with our discussion. So let's get to it. Here was my conversation, a fantastic one with the one and only Jason Jung. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man you all will know best as someone who has reached nine different Challenger singles finals in his career. He's captured four Challenger titles. He reached a career high of number 114 in the ATP rankings back in July of 2018. But perhaps most importantly, he's a multi-time All-Big Ten selection, a man who makes me feel comfortable rocking my Wolverines gear here on today's show. Welcome onto the podcast, Jason Jung. Jason, thank you for taking the time to join us. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to be on the show for the first time. Oh, it is a pleasure to have you. And let me just get this out of the way now. My formative years as a tennis fan, I would say like 2006 to 2011, that obviously overlaps smack dab with Jason Jung at the University of Michigan. And so let me just say I am very confident I would not be doing what I am doing today if it weren't for having the chances to go to Ann Arbor to watch you compete, to watch the Wolverines compete. And so at the start, I guess just a thank you to you. The show would wouldn't be here without all that you have done. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm curious with that thought in mind over the years, you've had the opportunity to compete in so many different places and, you know, do so many different things in tennis. Have you noticed the Wolverine brand, that Michigan M, is it recognized everywhere? Because they claim it is in all the alumni packets. And I'm curious if you've actually felt that on the road. You know, I actually do see the the block M a lot more than a lot of other schools. I'll go to some other countries and just go in a shop and you see a block M. <laughs> a, a lot of times it's like block M, sometimes UCLA, Georgia, but yeah, block M's actually everywhere. Yeah, it helps that we're a football school again. Like I'm sure that doesn't hurt, right? When we're making playoffs and doing all these things. Well, it's actually easier to rock the gear now, now that 
<laughs> got some wins. Yeah, but dur- during when we when we were in school, that was uh, that was some tough years. Yeah, the dark era, as I like to call it. Although yeah. my senior year, we were undefeated through all of our home games, so ten and zero going into our last two. And like when I say Ann Arbor fires when Michigan is undefeated in the fall. Ugh, it's yeah. the best place. It's the best place in the world to be. And you know, again, we, I want to go through your whole story in tennis. And I do here at the start want to say if people want to read more about you all you got to do is google jason jung tennis blog because you were kind enough to blog so much of your experience and i want to get into that but something you never talked about is really your background with the sport how you got started in the game where did your passion for tennis your drive for the sport all begin uh you know when you ask that sometimes when we look back and see how we started it's to be honest, like I think some of it's kind of a blur. I think, I, well, I started around four, and that's just following. My dad took my brother to some lessons and wanted to coach my brother, and he's five and a half years older than me, so I kind of just tagged along. Yeah. And somewhere along that that line, my brother was like, "I don't think tennis is for me." And I guess I picked it up and my, <laughs> my dad, my dad tells me I, I loved it and I wanted to keep playing. Uh, but what I remember is around like nine and 10, just working out with my dad every day after school, two hours and sometimes loving it, sometimes hating it just cause you know, I want to go play with my friends, but my dad's like, no, you got to go practice your forehand. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, um, yeah well, that's, that's kind of, Oh yeah. no, off of that. I'm curious. Because, and it may sound stupid, but anyone who plays tennis has this realization to some degree where you're like, you know what? I'm pretty freaking good at this. Like, I am, because it's an individual sport, right? And it's not as tryout based. You don't have to go team to team and, you know, you're trying out for the top level soccer team in your area and you don't make the team. Well, that's indicative of where your level's at. Tennis isn't like that. I'm curious for you for lack of a better term, when you have that come to Jesus moment, when you're just like, you know what? I am pretty freaking good at this. I actually think I was 10 when I (laughs) realized that just because we have a lot of tournaments in Southern California Mm -hmm. almost every weekend. And my dad put me in a lot of those tournaments and uh, year one, I played the 10 and unders. I think I was like nine. I didn't win too much. And when I got to 10, I started winning a bunch, like a bunch of tournaments. And I, I was like top five, 10 and unders. And I was like, wow, I'm winning a lot. Like I must be pretty good then. <laughs> and then you go to 12s and then the first like six months, you're not winning as much. And then after that, you're just winning a bunch of tournaments again. So then you're top five and 12 and unders. So, you know, at that point, you, you kind of realize something's going on. I mean, you, you don't win for no reason. Yeah. No, I'm always curious because looking back now, I mean, again, you're still active. A lot of guys who are from your time period who were very good at tennis are still active as well. Who was the guy in your era? Like, who was the one? Because there's always that one, right? Like, for us early, I remember in the 10s for my age group and 12s, it was like Tyler Gardner is just beating everyone, right? (laughs) And then you get a little older and that guy shifts. I mean, I think you finished like six in your class on tennis recruiting. And let's be clear, in 07, tennis recruiting was the place to be. So yeah. like the number six yeah. blue chip, that's a big deal. Who was the guy in your time? There was, well, this is for tennis fans, but there's a guy named Michael McLoon. Yes, here we go. Went to Duke, he, right? No, uh, you know, he turned pro. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was the next big thing and. And he was really good. He dominated pretty much all divisions. And he he took the path of going pro at 18. Mm-hmm. And I would say 12 and unders was Stevie Johnson. Yeah. That was the biggest. The, I, I lost to him. And we have this tournament called sectionals, which is, which is the biggest Southern Cal tournament. I lost to him that year, 12 sectional singles, doubles, and mixed in the finals. Mm-hmm. And that hurt a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can, I can imagine. And, um, you know, the reason I, I asked this question is because you mentioned there, McClune goes pro and, you know, 
I think Donald Young's what, like a year or two older than you, something like that. He's got to be right in the mix. Donald's actually the same year as me. So okay. I I played him in 12s Super National mm-hmm. hard courts. After that, he was just too good. Like, yeah. didn't see him. <laughs> that was the last yeah. junior event he played. Um, from there, it was, yeah, all yeah. futures and pros. And yeah. well, the, the reason I ask is because you see guys like McClune, like Donald Young, go go straight to the professional route. What was it for you in that time? And it wasn't like now when, you know, you have 15 guys right now in the live top 100 who have college tennis ties. That wasn't the case back in 07. What was it for you when you're making your decision, college pros that you were weighing? It actually came down to physicality. Okay. I, I did think I did think about going pro, but at the time, we our family just didn't have enough money to go pro. And also I think I was, I was getting, when I was 16, I started to get injured. I mean, not, not long-term injuries, but aches and pains. I'd be out for a couple of weeks here and there. And we just thought that if we got to college, maybe play two years, get some good training in, we'd be better off. So that, I mean, thinking about pro, there was probably like a 5% chance there. So college was, was it. And now when you talk to players, younger players, when you're out traveling, competing, if they ask you, will you recommend the college route to them? Uh, it's, it's a very tough question there. It is different now. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's case by case. I, I always, cause a lot of people ask me this now. And I always say, if you, if you have the funding and you have the right people, like you don't know if they're the right people in place, but I'm saying if you have that coach that can guide you, that's kind of been there and, and knows what to do, how to schedule and you have the funding, I think you should go pro and, and you're showing some, some promise already because those, those four years I think are for pro development are very important. Uh, but otherwise I think you should go pro. And the other thing is you could always go for one, one year in college and, and then come out. I think that's, that's been very common these days. Mm -hmm. So I I would say that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I want to get back to that funding and the team around you because that's such a fascinating thing. And obviously it's something you discussed throughout the course of your blogging of your time in the pros, I do have to ask, though, because I've gotten the chance to know him very well now. Bruce Burke enters the Jung household. Does he have a 12-point PowerPoint? Like, especially in 07, I feel like that was the Microsoft PowerPoint's, like, peak. Does he come in with, like, the 12-point plan? What's Bruce's recruiting pitch to get you to Michigan? Oh, I remember one of the first calls we had. I was on the phone with Bruce for two hours. (laughs) I've never been on the phone with with someone for two hours. I, I don't remember what he was talking about, but he pitched me something pretty good and I just kept listening. Uh, but the funny thing is uh, Bruce and, and Sean, they, they tried really hard and they were great, uh, but I ended up not signing with them at first. So, <laughs> uh, But it comes back full circle and, and it was great signing with Michigan again. Mm-hmm. Well, talk to me about that recruiting process because it did get a little interesting for you. Yeah, so it came down to Michigan and Virginia. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think it was, well, it was 2006, and I played Kalamazoo, and, and my family and I decided that the high school that I was at could, could help me graduate early because we wanted to pro was professional was the ultimate goal. Sure. And my high school was going to let me graduate uh, well, half, well, I could finish in half the year yeah. and I could go to that. I, I could start college in January. Mm-hmm. So I told all the schools and primarily it was Virginia and Michigan. Uh, Bruce said it was fine. Like he had, he had the money available, maybe not as much the first year when I first get in, but after that it was okay. So he clearly laid that out. And then I talked to uh, Brian Bolin was there at the time and he said, no problem as well. And I took my visits in the fall 
everything was okay. And I was like, okay, Virginia is a place. They've got great players. And uh, it seems like their foundation is pretty sad. And I, uh, Bruce at the time was still, mm-hmm. he, he was still kind of new there. Mm-hmm. And I guess ultimately Virginia had better players at the time and they were more established. So I thought maybe Virginia is the place. Mm-hmm. And this is, I want to say three or four weeks out of, uh, out of the second semester that's going to start at Virginia. It's December. Yeah. And I have no idea if I'm going to school. Like I haven't heard from Brian at all. Uh-huh. So I call him and he says, I didn't get into school. Like I, I'm not enrolled in school because my transcripts are late or like they processed it late. I was like, well, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, well, you know, like things happen with the school and, you know, I was going to call you next week or something like that. And I'm just like trying to figure this out. I was like, there's three, four weeks before and, and you don't, you don't tell me or, and then he's like, well, now you got to wait until the fall. So I'm like trying to piece this together. Like maybe he doesn't have the money for, mm-hmm. for the start of the second semester. So I, at that point I was, I was just really frustrated. And, and then I went back to the, I was a, I want out, I'm going to go back to the recruiting process again. And, and I had to go through it again, actually. So then I eventually signed with Michigan yeah, that um, is, that is a that's yeah. a hell of, yeah that's a hell of a process. Um, and no, it's you don't ever think about that money side of the thing. And again, the four and a half all these teams have to work with and negotiating that. And yeah, I mean, to I'm thinking about the thought of you on that 08 team. I'm like, all right, do you play Jason Jung or Teddy Angelinos at six? Because <laughs> God, is that team really good? And you know, yeah. what that year they get Shabazz and Sonam. Right, that's your yep. grade. I want to say, and I think you guys played him that's in the round grade. of sixteen. Yeah, and so yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, again, that's yeah, it's the the Breski full court press. I've heard stories of how <laughs> persuasive they can be, um, and so yeah, it's interesting to hear. You know, again, that era of Virginia in the mix, but I'm sure, you know, again, you get on campus at Michigan. And you guys in your freshman season are the first team to make the round of 16 since 88. And, you know, that 88 team was Goldberg and Washington and Nagel. Yeah. You know, all names, if you're a Michigan fan, you know very, very well. Um, what was that like getting thrown to the Wolves? That Because, again, you do join early and you're right in the mix there playing at that one and two spot. What's it like? Well, actually, I didn't go early because yeah. it ended up throwing off my the, so the recruiting process. you recycle, process. yeah. Yeah, so I actually finished school early, finished high school early, and I played a bunch of men's opens in Southern Cal. And I started in the fall of 2007. Uh, that's, that's how I meant to phrase it. Is So, again, yeah. you meant to go through early. You don't. You graduate yeah. early. That's what I meant. Is What does that next year look like? Yeah, so I'm just playing a bunch of – well, because juniors don't really matter to me anymore. Sure. So – and we're lucky. I'm lucky enough that Southern Cal has a lot of men's opens with some great players. So that's pretty much all I'm doing. I'm training, I guess, kind of the pro life. I'm training every day and, and playing men's opens. So that's that was kind of the life. Uh, and then in the fall, I, I went to Michigan. Yeah. Were you ready at that? Like getting a taste of the pro life where you're like, eh, I'm ready to go to school for a little bit. You know what? I'm not ready for this. <laughs> um. Well, I think I was still getting a little bit injured, so sure. I, I was ready. I wasn't ready for the pro life. That that was for sure. Mm-hmm. What's it like for you again, walking on campus that freshman year? You're on a team that makes that Sweet Sixteen. You're asked to play in the top two of the lineup, and I know looking back, I was looking at the records this morning because I'm a nerd, and that's what I do to yeah. prepare. And I was like, in no world was Jason Jung ever three and ten at the two singles position. But lo and behold, I was like, I guess that's what it was. And you know, again, that team has uh, Matco and uh, all the you know all these different yeah. pieces. And I'm curious what it was like to be thrown into with that group. How you know what that experience was like? Did you enjoy it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, at first when I got to school in the fall, I was playing great. I, yeah. I 
I won a Big Ten tournament and I beat Matt Coe, mm -hmm. who was number one on the team. And that was just super exciting for me. And I get to the season and it's actually a, a pretty tough schedule. We, we did play, we played Pepperdine, who was good. We played Virginia in season. So I played, I think Tret I played Huey, some. right? I played, I think I played Tret at Sweet 16 and maybe I played Somdev. Okay. Because we played them twice. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of tough matches and I remember the first first month I didn't win too much and I'm just thinking well I used to win a lot in the juniors and yeah. in the in the fall I kept winning and now I'm losing a bit and the like once once you kind of think about it and you lose a couple matches and because our, our matches are every weekend almost so then you you lose a couple and then you have five days to think about it yeah. and that doesn't go well and then you're thinking about school and you're thinking about all these other things and the confidence just just lost a little bit i think the first couple of well my freshman year in general so uh it, it was tough like not being able to win i mean the team still had success and i was super fired up about that and in doubles me and uh, mike straczynski and i were were pretty good so that that was fun too so i mean it wasn't a total like yeah. Debbie Downer and all that stuff, but it for the singles part it was tough, but for the team it was great. Mm -hmm. You're, I'm looking at it now. Your first like two months on the job. You're right. You you play Somdev in the dual in the first dual match. You guys play. You play uh, Betis for Pepperdine, who was 13 in the country at the time, and then you get yeah. Kutovsky for Texas. It's like yeah. welcome to college tennis, Jason Jung. That is that's yeah. quite the uh, quite the schedule. And I'm curious, did the level surprise you? Like, how was the level? You talk about that need to get more physical. That's why you went to college. Did you find yourself able to do that uh there well it, i'm talking about with the experience of of 10 10 years on the tour as sure. well and i do think i i did get stronger uh i mean with the with the dorm <laughs> with the yeah. dorm diet it definitely helps you gain some weight i mean i, <laughs> I went into college i think i weighed 138 Okay. And that that was like a big thing for me to try and put on some weight, and uh, I did get to one fifty five. Okay. And was that too yeah. much? Were you like, no, nah, not a good one fifty five? It was a bit too much if I'm okay. looking back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the the thing was for for tennis, I think there wasn't a as our our assistant coach at the time, Sean Mamie, he was really good at tennis specific training. So a couple times a week, he'd call it TST, where we train specific movements on tennis, so on the court, that kind of thing. And but when we'd go to the gym, our strength trainer, who was also named Jason, was really great. It's just he wasn't in tennis for a long time, so there are some movements that weren't really addressed. Yeah. If I'm thinking about it now. Uh, at the time, I thought everything was great. I mean, we were doing uh, – Sean would put us through through runs at 6 a.m. twice a week, and then we'd be in the gym uh, quite a bit, and, and we'd have individuals. So at the time, I thought everything was was what I needed. Mm -hmm. Let me just ask you this. You can re-win a challenger title – or you can rewin that Texas Tech match to send the team to the Sweet 16. What do you pick? Oh, probably Sweet 16. I mean, that that feeling of everyone just putting their heads down after the match, that hurt. <laughs> and also it was Virginia and and everyone on my team knew what happened with me in Virginia. Yeah. So we really wanted that win. <laughs> yeah. That Virginia team was real. I mean, you saw 08 Somdev. You also saw 2011 Stevie. What, tell me, what's the pinnacle of college tennis? Because I feel like that Somdev, I mean, I, I know he didn't lose back-to-back -back NCAA titles, but Stevie actually didn't lose. Well, I mean, Stevie, that's just a joke. I, it, there's there's no explanation there. But Somdev 08 is, is really good. And Tread at the time was killing it in singles as well. Yeah. 
lefty <laughs> serving volleying slice out wide. That's not a fun matchup in that because what that ma- that was at Baylor, right, or Tulsa, one of the two. That was at uh, Tulsa, I believe. Yeah, it's yeah. Hot, yeah, hot there in May. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's no fun. Yeah, and so no, I mean, again, <clears throat> you you spend your four years at Michigan. I mean, one of my former teams. Last college question for you, because then I do want to move on to the pros. Talk to me about freshman year, Evan King, because again, I know some. <laughs> uh, just again, what that's like. You guys obviously have a ton of success as a doubles pairing, yeah. And you know, again, there was a lot of energy. It was it was fun to watch those teams. Was it as fun to be the senior on them? Well, Evan is funny. We we, we joke about it a lot, and yeah. he claims that that I I talked behind his back because. We had the Michigan Daily. There, there was a guy that interviewed us, and yeah. during that week, there was something going on between us because Evan and I would constantly fight, but sure. not like, not like fight, fight, but just like because we practiced a lot, and sometimes he wouldn't. Well, lack of a better term, I guess I'm calling him out now because he's going to hear this. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes he would tank in practice, so if we were playing a practice set and, and I broke him early or something like that, then he'd kind of tank the rest of the set. And I got really pissed at him. So why don't you just play it out? And there's something where the Michigan daily guy interviewed me and I called him out and they wrote it in the paper and he saw, (laughs) and he, he to this day still holds that. Um, But Michigan, uh, Evan as a freshman was, I mean, it was super exciting because he was he was really good coming in, and and we at first we had no idea what he was like, and but he ended up being a really good player. And uh, the funny thing is, though, Evan was in Boca for a while, and he came into school, and he was just super. I would say he was super reserved. He also, he also had a girlfriend that was still at Boca at the time. So he never went out. He was just kind of tennis in school. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, like, I mean, he was focused. Sometimes, you know, we would get into our little fights, but, <laughs> but it, it was fun. I mean, he was, he was an athlete. I mean, he was, he moved really well. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sure it was a fun energy to bring to that group. And yeah, I mean, the most important question I can ask you to wrap up your time at Michigan by the end of it. Are you a Ricks man or a Skeeps man? Oh, uh, <laughs> I guess I would say Ricks just because yeah. Skeeps was a little bit, uh, I mean, that was like the place you went as a freshman. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's you, When you're young, you go to Skeeps. When you mature, you go to Ricks. There's, there's the yeah. answer. That was the correct yeah. answer for what it's worth. And I'll quack this out because I don't want, I mean, he'll, maybe he'll hear it, but I don't want anyone to get in trouble. I played club tennis, obviously. Uh, I don't know why I say obviously to you, but that's what I what I did at the University of Michigan. One of our rites of passage, it was part of our, your uh, initiation onto the club team, is you had to be at the bar once outside late at night watching Alex Patron. Like that was that was part of the initiation. You weren't officially a member of the team until you saw that. And so, um, yeah, like I know you guys had some fun and got after it a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, again, that's just I'm sure the joy of that college experience. But you come out of college in 2011. You didn't play a ton of pros during your time in college. Now, obviously, you have a busy schedule and, you know, Michigan's a school as well. And I'm sure you were trying to get through that also. But you know, I read in the blog, again, this idea that coming out of school, you were not totally convinced that you wanted to pursue pro tennis at that point. And shout out to you, by the way, for being like, you know what, I'm going to go up to Mackinac Island for a little bit while I figure my shit out. Um, just wow. talk to, yeah, That's talk to good me. research. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I told you. I, I, I read the blog. I, I'm prepared for yeah. today's show. Talk to me about that three-month stretch or four-month stretch, whatever it was. Yeah, so my childhood dream is has always been to be a professional tennis player all up until college, professional tennis. That's just on my mind. I get to my – the summer before my senior year, I'm burnt out. 
I, I feel like my level is not as good. The, I mean, no question my, my college time was, was great. It's just, I feel going in, I had these expectations that I would be a lot better. And by that time I was like, okay, maybe professional tennis isn't for me. So actually I was, I did these job fairs my senior year in the fall and looking for jobs and talking to people from back home. I had this friend who, who owned an oil company um, in Torrance and he always said, you know, if you ever want to work for me, let me know. I, I did a internship there my, uh, my freshman year, uh, summer. So, I mean, I, I got a taste of it and I was like, okay, this is probably what I'm going to do. I'm not going to play professional tennis. <clears throat> so after I graduated, I had a little bit of time. I was going to wor start working in July. So professional tennis is totally out of cards now. And I've got one month to kill. So I, I have this really good friend and her parents have a, have a house up in Mackinac Island and I've never been. And it seems kind of fun because there's an island mm -hmm. with just horses as transports. Yeah. There, or no bikes. cars. No cars. Yeah. And they helped me get in contact with the main hotel, the Grand Hotel. And it's it's kind of a summer place and <clears throat> people come in and they want tennis lessons and they're like, oh, why don't you, you know, teach some tennis? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, you know, that sounds kind of fun. And, um, I get there and this is, I think just for three or four weeks. So not that long. And it was in June and it happened to be a really cold June in Mackinac Island and the bike rentals and the tennis courts are right next to each other. And I end up renting more bikes than giving tennis lessons <laughs> during, my, <laughs> during my three weeks, but it was fun. I, there was another guy teaching pro with me and, uh, we were renting out bikes and chasing down people because they wouldn't return their bikes by 5 p.m. So um, <laughs> that was kind of my first three weeks. And uh, when I get back to L.A. Or, or Torrance, I start working. And on the second day of work, we get called into the meeting room. And our boss says, we're announcing layoffs. And I'm like, a second day. I'm, I mean, obvious, obviously, it's got to be me. I mean, I just got to work. <laughs> and sure enough, it is me. And they say, okay, four weeks. You got four weeks. And I literally worked for one month. And and that was it. And so, so now I, I'm not really sure what to do. A lot of people are telling me, friends and family and coaches like Bruce and Sean, they're like, you know, why don't you go try and play? And at this point I'm like, okay, maybe I, maybe I could play, but no, not sure. My parents or my dad, he's like, well, you should probably, you know, maybe think about law school or something or something that can, that, you know, you can fall back on. So he's like, why don't you try and take the LSATs before, before you, if you want to play, take the LSATs. So that whole summer, I'm kind of playing some men's opens again and then studying for LSATs. So that's, that's my summer. And I got, I had a really good friend. He told me about this tournament in Seattle that in the summer, the Pacific Northwest has these men's opens okay. and they're, they're really nice. And there's, a really big one in Seattle at the Seattle tennis club. Okay. And he told me, you know, why don't you go play it? You know, let's, we have a friend up there. We can go visit him, have some fun. And I, I hadn't played in a while, at least not competitively just here and there. And I go up there not knowing what to expect. And I win the whole thing. Like there's a couple good college players but like I win convincingly. Like some of these <laughs> matches are like one and one, oh and two. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, like what's what's happened? <laughs> yeah. And I'm okay. Like sign me up. Like I win 
I forgot how much I, I won, but I think it was like $3,000, which coming out of college is quite a lot. I was like, wow, like I can do this. Like, you know, sign me up for the pros. So that's kind of like where I, where I got my uh, start at, at uh, wanting to, to do this. Yeah. No, I'm sure it had to feel good to just win again. Like you're just like after, after time away to get back in the circle and to be winning again, you had to have caught the itch, right? Yeah, definitely did. Yeah, and so uh, who was the best player you beat in that tournament? I'm sure you remember. Come on. Uh, well, geez, I hope these guys don't don't hear this, but <laughs> I played. There was this guy, Chris Kearney, who okay, was really sure. who was who was pretty good. He played at UC. Ended up playing at UCI. I think I beat him O and O. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah if it wasn't oh and oh it was oh and one no i <laughs> mean then, I, uh, i'm sure i played i played a good friend he's from redondo beach andy gerst okay he ended up playing at san luis obispo i think i beat him like two and two yeah. and he was still good so i mean there were some college players that that were good i mean yeah so yeah no and to come full circle here you're getting ready to go pro. I know you went and played an event in India at the end of 2011, but your first, you know, full season traveling is really 2012. You know, to come yeah. full circle from earlier, what's the hardest part about getting going? Is it the funding? Is it the scheduling? Like, how difficult are those things to get off the ground, even more so than maybe just, like, getting your level of play ready to get back on tour? Yeah, I think the hardest part is if you don't, have someone that knows the pro tour it's like you you're figuring stuff out on your own really uh the funding was was tough luckily bruce and sean helped me fundraise a little bit through michigan and i did have a roommate in michigan and his dad helped me a little bit that was that was great and i had some people in torrance at my club we had this fundraising event and people donated money so my parents donated some money my brother did so like bits and pieces along the way gave me a thousand here a thousand there and it was enough to travel but i would say just the heart that the training is different the the motivation is different i guess because you get spoiled in college like everything is you show up to practice, you talk to your coaches and like, okay, you know, practice at this time, individuals at this time, and you have all this gear, you have everything paid for. And then you come out of college and nothing is paid for. Like you got to pay for it yourself. You got to find your own coach. You got to find your own trainer or physio and, and schedule everything on your own, like which you're not used to at first. And scheduling that no one talks about how important scheduling is because end of 2011 i played india and i i went to india because i heard people say if you play qualifying in india it's going to be easier than it would be in the u.s and which i thought was true because i did play some futures in the u.s before just a few but it was really hard mm-hmm and no one tells you about traveling that far and and you know being by yourself and and it, it was tough I, I mean the first uh i would say seven tournaments i caught or six i qualified and all lost first round so you know i, I didn't get my first point until you know five tournaments later which sure. is which is tough yeah no, I'm sure you're like, bring me back to Seattle, please. That's what I would prefer. Um, yeah, and just, you know, again, as you're navigating through the futures and, you, you know, the uh, the trying to get, work your way up to the challenger level and get into those qualities, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, what do you remember most about those years? Do you remember the matches that you played? Is it all a blur? Like, as you look back at that time a decade ago, what are the things that stick with you? Uh, yeah. 
I mean, it does become kind of a blur, but <clears throat> every year there are some bright moments. Because sure. init- initially, I was only trying for two years. Mm-hmm. And every the first year, 2012, I had a lot of – after I won my first point, I didn't win another one for, I don't know, a couple months. So then, like, there's that – drag of not getting points and you're just traveling and then in the summer you win i win a futures i'm like wow this is this is great like winning's <laughs> always great it kind of always like pushes yeah. you one more year which is kind of it's not the right mindset i would say sure. <laughs> just because you're continuing playing pro because you won an event late in the year mm-hmm. um but looking back i would just say you know, there was a lot of, of tough times, but a lot of great experiences. I mean, I had to learn a lot on my own. Uh, I mean, scheduling and and funding and, and flights and all this stuff and, and trying to create the right schedule. Uh, but I wouldn't have been so all around if it, like if, obviously it'd be nice to have everything in place, but this also gave me the tools for maybe later down the road i don't i don't not sure so um i would say the first couple years you're just trying to figure everything out Mm -hmm. and i'm grateful that every year i've gotten better so it's been able to to help me push to an even higher level Mm -hmm. so every year i've gotten better so you have your goal set higher and that definitely helps. Mm-hmm. 2016 for you. Uh, that's, you know, the season you really make your run towards the top 200, top 100. I think you go 41 and 22 overall. You have a ton of different challenger success. Yet the one thing I notice most when looking at your schedule outside of what you played Winnetka, I want to say in July, you played Irvine uh, or Irving, excuse me, in Dallas in February and March. Everything else is outside of the country. Now, again, ranking-wise, wins-wise, it was working. But you're you're on the – I don't know where you were based out of in 2016. And I know, again, obviously uh, you changed flags, I want to say, somewhere around that time. Um, but what – you know, again, a year on the road. What's that like for like, – what is that just like in general? I, I've been on the road for – I was I had a six out of weeks out of seven – six out of seven weeks on the road experience, which I enjoyed a lot because I'm doing media things. But there was a moment three weeks in where I woke up in my hotel bed and I was like, I don't know where I am right now. Like I don't remember what city I'm in. And it took me like yeah. 30 seconds to recover. I imagine that happens once a week in a year like 2016. Well, if you're asking 2016, Jason, yeah. I would say I was a bit more fearless about traveling and, <laughs> okay. and, and going to different places. And and obviously there are some tough, tough weeks and tough countries to be in, but I was a bit more fearless. If you're asking me now, a lot of the travels I probably wouldn't do today. <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you are right. Like sometimes you're just traveling so much and uh, you kind of forget where you are. It's interesting. 2016, you're 27, right? And yeah. so I'm 27 now. I'm like, yeah, I can do it now. I'm like, I don't know if I could do it a decade from now where I'll be like, I, what is happening? Like, what's going on? And, you know, again, through all of that, is it hard to improve your tennis? Like when you're traveling, like, what are the things you're actually improving on as you go through your pro career? How much of it is mental Ooh. versus physical? I do. Oh, that's a tough question. On the road, I think it is tough to develop unless you have a coach with you that can really, mm-hmm. you know, keep an eye out for you and, and see what you're doing. Because if you're by yourself, you're kind of, it kind of just depends on the player and, and how good they are and how well they see themselves and assess themselves. Mm-hmm. But I would say the majority, if you're by yourself, it's really tough to to develop you you have to have that coach so uh for me my coach back home we would try to keep my i was based out of torrance still Mm -hmm. and we would try to schedule around like no more than four weeks on the road and there were times where i was 
in hindsight, which was bad, I was chasing points. So uh, chasing points, meaning like uh-huh. maybe there was a grand slam I wanted to get to or, or the ranking I wanted to get to. And, and I got to week four and then five and week five, there was a good opportunity. This tournament had a couple of players pull out and it looked like a good opportunity. So I decided to stay on the road and play. And in hindsight, I think that that hurt me a little bit because for, for my mind, if I stayed out more than four weeks, mm-hmm. I kind of got, I, w- I was getting more fried mm-hmm. and that wasn't helping my tennis, but also mentally it was hurting me a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my coach and I, we, we tried to keep it max at four weeks. Um, I do think, yeah, physical wise is important, but also mentally because like we were just talking about being on the road is quite, quite tough. Mm-hmm. Like if you're out there for weeks at a time. So like a lot of these Australian guys, I mean, I don't know how they do it. I mean, I think all of them should be mental coaches for, for us. Cause, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're on the road for sometimes for three, four months at a time. And I just think, wow, like I'm whining about four or five weeks and they're <laughs> on the road for, for four months. <laughs> yeah. No, it it is, it's remarkable. And again, you have to make so many different scheduling choices. And again, I I can't emphasize this enough. Everyone needs to go check out. It's jasonjungtennis.wordpress.com and you can read your entire blogging journal. And I I guess I should have asked this earlier. That started around 2016-17. Or I want to say maybe 15? No, the blog actually started when I first started on the tour because it it was actually a way for for me to write to friends and family where I was. Mm-hmm. So that that was the whole goal of it was just to share my experience with my friends and family. You're telling me I have four more years of blog or like six more years because I've read like 2016 onwards. So you're telling me there's more for me to catch up on. Yeah, a lot more. So I actually – I want to say I, I kind of stopped writing in like 18 or 19. 19. It kind of got a, yeah, it kind of fizzled out a little bit. But yeah, I, I started as, as soon as I started playing, I started writing. Why? It's because it's <clears throat> fascinating to me. Why did I stop? Yeah. You know, even beyond oh. you talk about communicating with people, what was it you were trying to convey? Because you're very open. Like, again, you talk about – I want to ask you about the $440 taxi. We're going to get to it, I promise. Um, <laughs> but, you know, again, just like it, – it's really compelling. And I feel like if your career starts in 2021 instead of 2011, this blog takes off. Like, that's my whole thing is I, I can't – like, this it's, – it's really interesting. That, that is a good point, actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think about that. Um, <laughs> But to be honest, initially, it really was just for friends and family because I was going to be away. Like I knew I was going to all these different places and I couldn't possibly talk on the phone with everyone and and share everything that I wanted to share. Mm -hmm. So that was the goal. And then as I started to write and go to all these places, it was actually kind of cool to and, and and fun for me to write about it because it was just such a experience and and people people around me some of them would never go to these places and i tried to try to put more photos with it Um, and then as the years passed i started to gain more experience and and knowledge and also like the ups and downs and i I wanted to share like the struggles a little bit Uh, I don't think, well, I mean, usually we like sharing good things mm-hmm. and sometimes I think it's good to share some of the struggles because people, people don't know what it's like out there. Uh, you come home, like I'll come home and go to the club and people, and the thing people always said was like, wow, you're living the dream. And I'm just like, I, you're right. I am living the dream, but like, it's not just about that. Like I want to there is more to it so that's kind of like where i wanted to share because i think it's important to to show these these parts of the tour 
Mm-hmm. No, you're living a dream, not the dream would be how I would phrase it, right? Is it's like, yes, yeah. I am a pro professional player, but your dream of it is what Djokovic is doing every week, which is private jets and, you know, again, <laughs> appearance fees and all these different things. And you talked about it, like reading through the blogs, the big, I don't, I don't want to say the theme because there is a lot of joy in what you're doing. And like, I want to talk about your university games decision, and I want to talk about those newspaper clippings, which I'm sure you still have somewhere in the Jung household, or it's got to be in a Jung household somewhere. Um, You know, there is a lot of discussion about the mental taxation, and like I'm curious, and I guess to some extent every job is mentally taxing, of course, but when you think about a professional athlete – the thing you jump out is, you know, does their body break down? Are they able to just continue to play tennis at the level they were? That's what it comes down to. The more you talk to players, the more I do things like read blogs like yours, it sounds to me like that is not what it comes down to. Like it's literally, can you stay fresh in week number 36 of this season? Like that's the real struggle. And I feel like that's – am I on to something with what the blog's conveying? I think you are. Yeah, okay. it's, it's it's definitely about being fresh. It's uh, there's no question about that. Yeah, it's just again, it, it it is fascinating. Let me ask you about that university games decision. 2017, you have that opportunity. You could have gone and played U.S. Open qualies, maybe wow. in main draw. You make the decision good. to play the university games. Talk to me about what those games are and what that experience was like, because obviously you walk away with the gold medal. This is funny. I mean, I've been. Evan always gives me well. Evan King always yeah. gives me shit because he's like, "You're the only guy I know who skips Grand Slams to play other tournaments." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so University Games is uh, it's a game that's played every two years, and basically it's like a I like to call it mini Olympics. So you got all the sports, uh, but it's it's mainly for like college athletes or in other countries they're they're older so a lot of graduate students or you know at the time i was 28 sure (laughs) um so i i switched to playing for taiwan i think 2014 or 2015 Mm -hmm. and 2017 was university games and it was being hosted in taiwan Mm -hmm. and at the time I didn't know how big of a deal it was going to be, but I thought, you know, this this game is every two years and it's hosted in Taiwan and it's not going to be, and Taiwan spent a lot of money to, to build some facilities for this. So I was like, well, this has to be kind of a big deal. So yeah, I did skip the U.S. Open to play <laughs> university games and <clears throat> And yeah, I, I ended up winning and it, it became, I would say, a breakthrough in, in my career. Just because when I switched to Taiwan, it's not because I hate the U.S. I mean, I, I love the U.S. Yeah, sure. It's it's because I, I had the op. If I were to do better, mm-hmm. like ranking-wise and, and at certain tournaments, if I have some breakthrough, it would be better to be playing for Taiwan than the U S just because, you know, in the U S you have so much competition, Uh you have competition with other sports, but also like, you know, at at the time, maybe I'm 200, like I'm low on that list. There's so many, you're the 26th ranked American. So for me, the opportunity to play for Taiwan and also it's where my parents, you know, that's their, that's their home. That's where they're born. It's pretty cool. And I win the university games and that changed, honestly, it changed my life because at that year I was coming back from a foot surgery and I wasn't doing well all year. I, I pre the year before I was killing it in the challengers and I take this time off after my surgery thinking I'll be back in no time. And that year was honestly the toughest year. I lost, I don't know how many, maybe you could look it up, but like (laughs) a lot of, a lot of first rounds and, and university games, I think it was like end of August. 
So at that time, I'm just like, my mind is, is gone. It's like, okay, this is my last year on tour. Mm-hmm. And I remember flying to Taiwan and I'm like, okay, Jay, you, you, I mean, even though your mind is fried, like to give yourself a chance to play, like you got to try and snap yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I started to, to think like more positive thoughts and try not to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, and, you know, as, as the matches went on, obviously I was the highest ranked player mm-hmm. in that tournament, but there still was a lot of good players. Like Nuno Borges was, I played him in the semis. Obviously he's not as, he wasn't as good as he is now, yeah. but he was still really good. And yeah, I mean, winning it, uh, I started to gain a lot of traction in Taiwan. Like a lot of people watched, like the stadium was packed. Mm-hmm. I, I played every match in the stadium and it was packed. And just the publicity we got around it was crazy. Like it felt like being an overnight celebrity. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I wasn't LeBron James or anything, but honestly, it it felt crazy. Like I was, after the games, I was going into these taxi cabs and they were like, you're Jason. Like this, this, this rides on me. I was like, Oh my God, like what is going on? And, uh, from there, like I started to get a few sponsors mm-hmm. and the name was out there. So it was just, it was life changing. Cause that's what I had hoped for to, to get extra funding, to pay for the coach, the trainer, the physio, like the things I couldn't afford before and yeah so like when evan gives me i'm just like yeah i mean it was the right decision for that one <laughs> yeah I, I think i read a call did you get a call from the president of taiwan i didn't get a call but we did have like a like one of those like if you win the super bowl like you do the parade yeah so we like all the gold medalists okay. we did the parade and we just went around taipei and we got to meet the president. So and, that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's an experience and a half. Like that that's yeah. awesome to hear. Yeah, I know, I know plenty of players. We mentioned him earlier. I believe Trett Huey's played the games and like a lot of players have sneaky that the university games and European club tennis are the two best things in the sport that no one talks about. Because like you hear stories about European club tennis. Eventually I really just need someone to pay me so I can go over there and watch it all and write the story. Um yeah. I feel like everyone goes and plays European club tennis in November. I mean, I hope I'm getting that call this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys, Jason Jung is for, for Bundesliga League Two. Jason Jung is available for, for the record. Yeah. But, you know, obviously, I don't want to keep you, you know, I promised you under an hour. So just last few questions here. Uh, obviously, you know, again, as it relates to the blog, you shared some really good stories. I don't want to give them all away because I really do think people should go read these because for what it's worth, they've all held up. Like the writing's still good. Um, like yeah. All the stories are still relevant. Yeah. Talk to me about the $440 taxi because like to me, that epitomizes what life on the road must sometimes be like. Yeah, so I was in Korea and – I got I kind of got to go back to read it to see what happened, but I was in the middle of Korea, and which is not as uh, transport accessible. Okay, and I was trying to get back at a certain time because the the flight back home was in Seoul. So mm-hmm. um, I want to say it's like a four or five hour drive, but they also have this thing called the bullet train. Okay, so. <clears throat> I guess I get to the station and and it's the wrong time or uh, I didn't maybe it's the wrong day or something and I can't uh, my flight is that day and that's that bullet train wasn't the option anymore or like the bus like the bus left or I, I forget if it was the bus or the train but I can't take that option so I'm just like <clears throat> freaking out my flights that day I'm not sure what to do. And, you know, I see some taxis. I'm like, should I take the taxi? It's like (laughs) five hours, probably super expensive. And at that time, you know, like I don't, 
I don't have as much money, I would say. Sure. So like to even entertain the option of a taxi, like I know how expensive that could be mm-hmm. is kind of wild. Yeah. And okay, I was like, okay, let's just do it. But then it wasn't that easy. Like I'm talking, I talked to the first couple taxis and they're like, no, we're not going up there. Yeah. And then, you know, I think by the fourth taxi, they're like, okay, this is how much it is. I was like, what? Like, just, <laughs> you know, just use the meter. He's like, no meter. It's far. <laughs> and, and I'm saying this like in English, but they, they can't even speak in English. Yeah. They're like, we're like using our hands and like, show, like I'm pulling out my phone, like how much, like, yeah. and, and they're like, they want guaranteed payment and I don't have enough cash. <laughs> so like, I got to get to this ATM and I can't remember if I like, if I told them, okay, I'll pay you in full or pay you in half, like half now, half later. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I had to pull out cash and then kind of guarantee my, that I would pay him. Mm-hmm. And then halfway along the trip, he stops at a rest area to get some gas and says, uh, okay, this is where we, where we stop. Like you you can go, like he's talking to another taxi driver and he's saying, okay, you go with this guy. I'm like, no, you take me. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not stopping like halfway and at a rest area and then like going with some other taxi. (laughs) So yeah, like I, I barely made it to the flight and, Mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, I, I made it there safe, but it was just such a, such a grind and such an experience, like not, having to use my hands to, to speak <laughs> and sh- and using my phone to show like, okay, this is the price. And then like stopping at that rest area thinking, okay, this is my life over. Am I going to be kidnapped? <laughs> so yeah, that, no, was, that was an experience. I think my favorite detail hidden in the blog is when he stops, not only for bathroom break number three, but on this bathroom break, he brings you back strawberry milk. And he's like, hey, I know I've been a little bit of a hassle oh, here. Yeah. So here's a bottle of strawberry milk to make up for it because that's what you need right now, right? And honestly, as a big proponent of strawberry milk, I'd have been like, you know what? We're back on the right track. I'd be like, this this made amends. It must have helped a little bit. That is a good detail. I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, it's just – it's unbelievable. And again, all these things available in the blog. Uh, last two questions for you because obviously now – you know, you're focused on your tennis here moving forward. And, you know, you've gotten off to a pretty solid start here in 2023. You've been able to, you know, uh, reach challenger semifinal to start your year. And you've been able to get through qualifying at, you know, I think all th- or three of the four challenger events that you've played. You know, the rankings 350. I'm curious, you know, what the goals are for you this year and what that passion is that spark to keep on playing. Yeah, it's, it's honestly been a tough year and a half. Last year was tough. There was a lot of mm-hmm. outside family things I was dealing with and um, the level just wasn't as good, but you know, to start this year winning a lot is, has been, has been great. Actually, it is a grind to go through qualities at these challengers just because it's two extra matches. But these two extra matches have actually given me a lot of confidence just winning again. Um, and the goals this year, I mean, obviously I want to try and get back to, to where I was, you know, around the hundreds and to give myself that chance to, to climb even further. But I would say the biggest goal this year is to bring my dad to a grand slam because he he hasn't written well he hasn't traveled with me at all to be honest i mean he's the one that brought me into tennis and i kind of want to close it full circle where he can experience a grand slam Uh, my mom and and brother got to experience it uh, french open a couple years ago Um, so yeah that would be quite a cool goal for for me and and honestly it's just to to also see how much more i can push myself i mean it sounds kind of crazy like professional athletes are crazy but from from the year that i had last year 
I want to try and push myself a little bit and try and push through those, those times where you're mentally not feeling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think, uh, I am in a better place this year, uh, less distractions and, uh, able to focus more. So I am back on track and I want to see how far I can take this, um, last time around. No, oh, I love to hear it. Well, then my final question for you in that spirit What is the thing right now, because I've watched a lot of Jason Jung tennis in my life, and I think I can answer this question, but I'm curious asking you, what's the thing right now you do best on the tennis court? Uh, I would say movement, Mm -hmm. just uh, moving in and out, side to side, and my side to side has always been good. The in and out, like up and back has sometimes been troubling, but it's feeling pretty good now. Yeah, no, that's the thing I was – it's just amazing through all the injuries. You're quick as hell. Like, it's the fluidity. I'm just like, can I just borrow your hips for a day? Like, just a day and just to see what yeah. it's like to get in and out of the corners like that because, uh, no, it's, it's always a joy to watch. And, you know, again, to come full circle here, as I mentioned at the top, uh, I know that watching you guys, the joy you guys, your Michigan teams had, that's what made tennis seem so fun for me as someone who younger. And, you know, again, to all of our listeners, anything we can do, I know I speak for them, to support your game, your efforts moving forward, uh, we look forward to doing so. And, yeah, don't be a stranger here on this show, Jason. It was great to get the chance to finally speak with you. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Take care and good luck to you, obviously, the rest of this year. Thank you. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Jason Jung. A massive thank you to him for taking the time to chat, for being so candid and opening up about everything that's happened within his time within the sport. And again, hopefully we will be able to speak with Jason more in the future. Hopefully we'll be able to celebrate a huge 2023 season that sees him return, not just to the top 150, but make that top 100 push. And yes, hopefully, I mean, what an admirable goal. If we can't all root for Jason to be able to bring his dad to to a slam this year. We're just not doing this right as tennis fans. So again, a massive thank you to Jason for taking the time to chat. Obviously wishing my fellow former Wolverine success, not just here in 2023, but moving forward in everything that he does. Of course, we've had the chance to speak with so many cool players of late here on this show. All you got to do to find all of those conversations is scroll down on your podcast feed. Of course, again, if you're looking for updates on everything else happening in the tennis world, the mini break podcast, the great shot podcast, they'll be the place for you. You can find them all on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest today, Jason Jung, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. See you all soon. Thanks, everyone.